0: BLOB TALK RADIO Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. This is Dona Keating. I'm your host, coming live here from the Seattle area at about 1 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, July 31st. Listeners, dial 602-753-1970. CJ will patch you in for live on-air questions or comments, and you can raise your hand by pressing 1 on your keypad. It lets us know that you're not just listening in, that you actually want to participate in the conversation. There's also a chat option um, that gets all of that information sent my way if you have questions or comments or whatever, and I'm told that it is in moderation uh, format, which means that you may be communicating directly with CJ, um, and she's looking at your questions and comments, but they're not necessarily made public or um, um, obvious to other chatters that are out there. So today we're speaking with another candidate for city council on Bainbridge Island, uh, this time from the Central Ward. You uh, may recall that we had Matt Tierman on last Friday. He was from the South Ward. And uh, tomorrow we're going to have Joe Dietz on, who is from the North Ward. So again, um, we're open to hosting other candidates based upon my availability and theirs, obviously. So recommend or recruit or facilitate um, getting the candidate that you want to hear from on our show. Um, And this podcast is the project of a privately owned company, which is mine, but its purpose was not to uh, promote my company. It's really to provide a service and forum for the local and global communities and their voice. And that's what we've been doing for the last three years. So as I've said before, Sharp elbows and strong opinions are fine. That's what straight talk is all about. But if you think it's kind of rad to come onto a live show and go sideways, CJ is going to airlock you. So let's just go ahead and get started. See who's out there. Hello. Can you hear me? Great, I sure can.
1: Okay, is this good. how do?
0: So how do I pronounce your name properly? I mean, is it Rasham or is it Rasham? Nice how do you pronounce?
1: You know you got it the first time. It's
0: Rasham. Rasham. Okay, great. And then yeah, your last Rasham. name is Nassar. Nassar. Perfect. And, okay. Yeah, and I'm very sensitive to that. It's someone who gets their name pronounced mispronounced 99% <laughs> of the time, so I get it.
1: Right. Uh, and who
0: else do we have online? <laughs> uh, is somebody Charles out is Who else is out here? Charles. Oh, great. Okay. So, let's just jump in. Uh Rasham, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um your bio and your background and give us some, you know, some highlights there.
1: Okay. Um yeah, sure. Um so, I was born in Berkeley, California.
0: Um
1: my father was an immigrant to this country in 1967. He's originally from a small farming village uh, north of Jerusalem in Palestine. He came to America in 1967, you know, for better opportunity. He put himself through college and grad school in chemistry um, and then went on to work as a pharmacist, and he was self-employed in that field for over 40 years. So my upbringing was was pretty um, normal, pretty modest, I'm first-generation American, but um, being raised in the Bay Area, there weren't too many obstacles
2: um, to that.
1: I uh, graduated high school from uh, Richmond, California, and I ended up attending the University of of California at Berkeley where I studied philosophy, uh, with an emphasis in law, um, I also played sports at the collegiate level, water polo. Um, I was on partial academic scholarship, but during my college schooling, I I stayed employed um, working in order to afford my expenses. Uh, primarily as a as a waitress during those years. Um, my summers I spent volunteering at our local uh, in Berkeley, the local community law center, <clears throat> and there I was um, primarily involved in housing evictions and landlord-tenant disputes. Um, After college, I continued um, working and traveling. I gained experience in a lot of different fields, Um, worked for a little while as a legal secretary and then as a paralegal, Um, worked for a water resources engineering firm in Oakland as a professional writer and editor. Um, I even played music professionally uh, for a little while and performing and recording in San Francisco and around the Bay. Um, I was getting my applications for law school in order when I met my husband. And I sort of dropped what I was doing to join him on what ended up being a two-year tour of the World by Bicycle. During that Mm. time, we cycled cross-country from uh, Seattle to New York, and then we ended up over in Europe. um, And about 32 countries later, and uh, two-something odd years, we returned back to Bainbridge Island. Um, When we came to the island, we settled, um, which is my husband's hometown, I should say, uh, he was born and raised on the island. His family has been here for over 35 years. Uh, we jumped okay. right into organic farming. <clears throat> so we bought our piece of property over there on New Brooklyn Road um, and became in, immediately and instantly involved in the local farming community here, um, <clears throat> really farming around sustainability, community outreach, community involvement, um, organic you know, food uh, growing, education, and things of that nature. Um, But really, our ultimate goal, and I think are the heart of our uh, of our efforts there on the farm, is to lessen our environmental impact on the planet by producing as much of our own food as possible. Um, In addition to that, I've also been employed on the island as a, uh, and this is a mouthful, licensed state licensed commercial real estate appraiser trainee, Um, and I work in that capacity as an assistant to my father in law at his firm here on the island.
0: So I think okay. I'll,
1: I think Great. that's a pretty well rounded summary
0: it is, and it's very interesting too. I mean, I always <laughs> like when I hear that people have you know not only just traversed the world but done it in a way that's very unique. i mean it's very easy to fly from place to place and live in you know stay in luxury hotels and whatnot, but there's a different level of of engaging different cultures and people that are there and lifestyles there when you're on a bike mm-hmm. or when you're in a hostel or when you're i mean it's just a different uh, different experience and I think it enriches you. You know, in a, in a totally different way. Um, I don't know who yeah. it is. It may be you. It may be Charles. But there's an echo somewhere out there. So if you guys can kind of lock down whatever rooms you're in, especially you know, super tight, and whatever your phones are, just make sure that you're kind of stable. Because uh, CJ is getting kind of a blowback here. Charles, do you want to give a quick okay. sketch on on who you are as well?
2: Um, yeah, just a quick thumbnail. I come from a tech background, but you know, my family. I grew up in Illinois. And uh, my grandfather was a farmer, and uh, it was farm fields back in the in the day, uh, out where uh, my parents uh, subdivided properties. And my mom grew a large garden, and um, so I've always I've come from a background where I guess there was always in our in our in our minds uh, a concept of sustainability. Now I don't grow food here. But like when it comes to recycling and thinking about uh, what kind of impact I have, I do think about that and I'm kind of horrified when I go someplace and they don't even recycle. I, I just look at it like, oh my God, how can I do that? Um, you know, so and I appreciate the, the world traveling. It gives you a perspective of not only uh, the pros and cons of what, what we have living here, but a, a greater appreciation for how much we do have. And uh, I think that's, that's the idea of uh, what, you, what we can accomplish. So that's my thumbnail sketch background. Of course, I, I run a tech uh, consulting firm and partner with Tony on many things and uh, run a tech association. So I like triple bottom line type thinking as well.
0: That's great. So, Rashawn, back to you. Um, What was the spark? I mean, obviously, you've already been dedicated to, you know, environmental stewardship in your lifestyle and walking the talk, but what made you decide to run for city council? I mean, was there a specific incident? Was there an issue? Was it cumulative? And I ask that because if you look at the North and South Ward incumbents, they chose not to Mm -hmm. run for re-election, so obviously somebody had to step into that void, but the central uh, council member is is running again, and he's already there. He's an incumbent, Mm -hmm. so did you feel there was something different or better you could bring to the table in comparison, or was it not even about him? it's just about your desire to serve.
1: <laughs> well, uh, well, I'll I'll start answering that question by, um, you know, by reiterating that my family, um, you know, my husband, my in-laws, are really deeply involved in Bainbridge Island. They're really um, heavily invested in the community here. My son is a year old; um, just turned one a couple of weeks ago, and he's a third-generation islander. Um, my in-laws were founding members of Squeaky Wheels. they've owned um, their business on the island for over two decades. my mother in law is the founder of the Bainbridge island Tennis Association um so our family has roots here, and with that, a deep care and respect uh, you know for this wonderful and beautiful place and community. I personally became involved um in local politics here on the island through environmental advocacy um You know, we've all been seeing a lot of clear-cut developments lately along Wyatt, along with 305 and elsewhere, and I'm no different um, when I say, you know, when I share our community's concern that our building code, the way it is now currently uh, does not sufficiently protect our island's resources. Um, You know, it also doesn't reflect the values of the environmental elements of the COMP plan um, and doesn't serve to protect our island's unique character. And so i'm partly inspired to run to provide stewardship in this matter those, those are um, you know those are values and concerns that um, in my understanding are really important to the community and uh, and again that those concerns reflect my own personal concerns um primarily for the future of the, of the island um, <clears throat> that said there is also a larger picture reason that relates to my running for council and that's on the subject of climate change um, you know, we're all aware that we're currently facing a crisis of national leadership, um, and what we're seeing now at this, um, in the, kind of the political national climate atmosphere, is cities are being forced to lead the fight and being forced to stand up um, within their own communities to effect change at the local level where it really matters, to kind of take charge of our own democracies at the local level um, where we can institute the most meaningful and lasting change. Um, As a mom, I'm directly and intimately invested in the future, um, you know, of our world, Bainbridge Island, being a part of that, and so another reason I'm deeply motivated to run is to take a stance against policies and actions that don't serve to protect and preserve this world for future generations. Um, That's something that, you know, weighs um, on my heart and in my, um, you know, my soul um, almost every day, because what we're hearing now from scientists especially regarding climate change is that the certain, the, the future is really uncertain um, and and we're not sure you know how well we can we can do to slow down the impact that, um, that humanity has had um,
0: on the
1: natural environment <laughs>
0: Okay, okay. If, if so, you want to take that. Okay. So, well, well, kind of my question, though, is, you know, if you look at Bainbridge Island, you you, you're, you said your your husband's family is born and raised here. I've been here for yeah. quite a while, and Charles – and so that's something that you kind of know immediately when you get here. I mean, almost right. everyone. I, I doubt if I've met anyone here on the island that doesn't have some type of um, environmental – Uh, stewardship or doesn't support, you know, climate change or whatever. It's just the way it is. I mean, I think the island power thing, which we'll get to in a minute, but I think that that was actually kind of a false dichotomy that the fact that you oppose that particular project means that you didn't uh, support the environment or or, um, clean air or whatever, clean energy. And I think that that's just false. But I guess my question is you know if you look at and I really don't want to make this about your your opponent, but if you look at uh some of the things that he has supported and some of the things he's voted for, it's really the question of what can voters expect from you that's different i mean what okay. what is it that you feel that you can do that's different in terms of why you decided to run
1: okay yeah so i'm I'm just about to get there, and i uh, i our campaign really has not um you know, we've not paid too much attention to our opponent. Um, I've, you know, I'm, I'm definitely new to this um, political sphere. I've never run a campaign before, so every day is a new and exciting journey for me. Um, but one of the pieces of advice we've received is to just keep our campaign about, you know, the message that we want to portray and relay and, um, and to keep it positive. And I think we're doing really well at doing that. Um, uh, and, but to, to answer your question um, with, you know, in light of that, answer your question as best as I can, um, I think the kind of leadership that I can bring to council is progressive and forward banking. Um, you, you know, I'm sure, that the comp plan was just recently updated, and now with those updates completed, and this relates to the environment and environmental uh, protection. It's time to take um, for council to, to take leadership on implementing the comp plan by making changes to the municipal code. Um, which can then serve as a roadmap to development and the way we kind of grow our island in the future. But we have to implement well. And this is where, um, this is where I want to come in. This is where I want to apply progressive and forward-thinking leadership, um, working collaboratively and well with other members of council and city staff, you know, to bring our code up to date to, uh, so it's in better alignment with our community's vision. Um, good governance is also another reason for my campaign and I think another area where I personally want to um, highlight And emphasize as a councilwoman, Um, you know, as a mother and a farmer, um, an ordinary um, average citizen of Bainbridge Island, my my primary attention is just to serve honestly and to truly be a public servant to the community, to bring their concerns forward, to prioritize the community's values, and really just to listen. Um, I think the mark of a good council member is someone who can listen objectively to all sides of an argument and then, you know, have the capacity to make good, grounded decisions. And I believe I can really um, excel at that and um, make Bainbridge Island proud in that regard. Ultimately, you know, okay. for the council member it's just, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that um, this is really just about public service and providing a public service. And, and being transparent throughout the decision-making process, I think, is essential to that. And that's something else that I, you know, that's a really important part of my message. Um, and I can, I can go on, or if there's another question you want to ask, um,
0: I have other campaign no, no. points that I... Yeah, we're, we're going to move on into the issue, I think the only specifics? comment that – Well, I mean, yeah, I think we all are. I mean, okay. we're talking about a city that's a business, yeah. that's a multi-million-dollar business. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this statistic, and even if it's true or not, but, you know, they say that Bainbridge Island has more attorneys per capita than any place in the United States. So, I mean, obviously, right. I know from my own experience – Um, that, you know, we're very, very focused on due diligence and we're very focused on numbers Mm -hmm. and and we're very focused on facts and so forth. So, I mean, obviously that question is going to be, wait a minute, you know, we've got a guy in here. I don't know who likes him or dislikes him. I mean, I'm not going to make it Mm -hmm. about him again, but the point is, if he's doing all of those things, then why are we going to hand... The reins over to somebody that may do exactly the same thing or do something slightly differently, and mm-hmm. yet you know the disadvantage is not having the experience to deal with a multi-billion-dollar budget with some really complex issues. So, the, so it, instead of Getting into that whole thing, let's move on to those issues so we can talk a little bit, bit more about sure. that with you. Um, CJ and I yeah. went to your website, um, and we noted that you have affordable housing and good governance, obviously, and environment and political mm-hmm. reform, taxes, and transportation as priority issues, but only a few of those are fleshed out. So let's just start there, and then we'll also get back to some of the others that, that may not be listed there, but you can still have a chance to talk okay. about. So uh, The first one being affordable housing. I mean, obviously we have okay. an issue on the island with this. Um, and I talked about it sure. in the uh, show with Mattis well, where, you know, you're talking about promoting social balance and creative solutions to um, ensure affordability without, you know, so there's, you know, we've got the task force that's newly created. They're going to propose strategies and whatnot, but I'm more interested in specific recommendations that you would bring to the council if you were elected. Okay.
1: Um, Sure. And just to backtrack a minute, um, to comment on uh, the comparison between myself and my opponent, I think... um, You know the differences between my opponent and I are going to become increasingly more clear as campaign season progresses. We differ greatly in a lot of different points, and we'll get to talking about fiscal responsibility. And I think that might be one of the most um, well, the most critical areas in which you can draw the most dramatic differences between the two of us. But um, ultimately, we're two incredibly different people with different backgrounds, and so the values that I intend to bring to council, I think, are are unique. As as, you know, um, in addition to the fact that I represent a unique um, candidate uh, by virtue of, you know, who I am. So affordable housing. Uh, yeah, there's um, definitely an incredible pressure right now on housing prices on the island. Um, you know, the number of high-paying tech jobs in downtown Seattle continues to grow, and we can really expect to see that growth in housing prices in the coming years. So I just want to start off this conversation by talking about um, our current affordable housing law. think uh, I'm sure, you know, you're knowledgeable about this, but I'll just, you know, gloss over it real briefly. The HEDP was passed in 2009. It's been extended three times, but still hasn't produced um, an affordable housing unit that hasn't been built by HRV, HRV being um, Housing Resources Bainbridge, an organization that used that law to build Burncliffe. What we're seeing now is that there are three large developments downtown that are using this law of green building provisions to gain exceptions to the normal building code, including um, higher densities. Without building a single affordable unit into their design. So, I think it should be the work of the next council to uh, consider drafting and implementing a revised HTDP that continues our strategy of placing density in the Wimpo core, um, that generates a set of incentives that succeed at encouraging private developers to include affordable housing.
2: Um,
1: I know there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot to be said about that last statement, which I just made, and I'll go into it um, in depth. Um, Here, by saying, even though I'm 100% supportive of this, I think what we may have to consider um, within our affordable housing law is an inclusionary affordable housing plan that would require developers to build some affordable units into their design. And this was actually an idea that was brought to the table um, during a recent conversation I had with the director of HRB, um, where she said that it would be worth our while to at least consider the possibility of the potential success of of drafting a law, such as one that San Francisco is currently using, um, their inclusionary housing program that requires developers of projects with 10 or more units to pay an affordable housing fee or to sell or rent a percentage of the units at a below market rate, um, meaning, you know, affordable to low and middle income households. Um, I've talked to other councilmen about affordable housing as well, and there's an idea floating around that we could build in a micro housing zoning overlay for Winslow,
2: um, because building
1: smaller often means uh, building more affordable. Um, you know, the essence being the smaller the unit, the more affordable it will be. And I'll talk more about the implications of building small um, in a second. I want to pause just to give you an opportunity to um, say something, or I can just continue on. I have a lot more to say on this issue.
0: <laughs> no, I mean I think <laughs> actually, I, I you know, I, when you when you When you brought up the San Francisco example, it was something that I actually had mentioned um, when I was speaking with Matt about it, you know, and how they came up with the the amendments to the law that was, you know, increasing the percentage of low market, below market rate housing and so forth. And, and, you know, what, And voters behind that also And helping to approve that And then of course I mean I've also seen Some Facebook debate About this subject And the belief By some people Some that are Former developers Or whatever That there's just Never going to be Enough leverage out there To induce a developer To invest or build In a situation Where they may not Get a profit And so you know You're kind of Balancing Mm -hmm. that whole um, You know The the business ROI Imperative That they're going to have uh, And trying Mm -hmm. to find A way to induce them To care Not so much Care less about the green But to care more about uh, You know Incorporating the Affordable element in there, um, right? And so I know we're talking about the the, the tiny homes and stuff, so forth, and you know, right. What types of, you know, how do you get past? I mean, obviously, if it was such a great idea, and it is in a lot of ways, what do you think is is making us as a as a community drag our feet on on this? Why isn't this something that we're already doing? Well,
1: that's a really good question. Um, I, you know. My general approach to housing affordability is a think-outside-the-box approach, but I know that that approach is not shared, um, and including by members of our own council. I uh, had a conversation with a member of our city council at the time of the Suzuki debate um, back, let's see, this must have been 2014 or 2015, and um, I brought to the table these alternative housing solutions, tiny homes, micro-housing, pod homes, granny and villages, um, demonstrating that cities across California like Fresno um, you know have have experimented with these kind of cutting edge um, housing uh, technologies um, Seattle Vashon have showed leadership on this um, and the response I got and it's quite shocking at the times was that there was still too much developable land on Bainbridge Island uh, to consider any alternative housing options at this time um so you know that's not wholly uh an answer to your question i can't I, I can't um Possibly know what's going on in people's minds, or kind of, but but I think that does kind of give us an idea of, um, or at least one idea of where some people might be coming from when they're um, when they remain unopen to considering alternative options. Um, another concern I, I constantly hear, and this is um, kicked back from the community, and I completely understand this position as well, is that there we're talking about building smaller homes. These are typically units under 750 square feet, um, and that does seem a little bit claustrophobic um, when you think about it. Um, and it's true, these options are not for everyone, but they are for some, and they do provide you know, a, a benefit um, in that they are typically relatively small in size, which means their uh, impact on the environment is remarkably low. Um, the building technology also for these types of alternative housing is green, and in some cases, beyond what our current development code requires in terms of insulation um, and plumbing and, and things of that nature. Um, in January uh, 2014, I think it was 2014, there was an article that appeared in the Kitsap Sun. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. And this was interesting because it was happening at the time of the Suzuki debate where were communities coming together around affordable housing. Well, there was a young couple that were discovered living in a tiny home on their parents' property. And they were in essence that right. to move. Um, off the island, if they could not convert their tiny home into um you know into basically an a d u or or an actual you know single family residence that would then be uh subject to all the requirements and permitting and foundation and, and things of that sort for, for houses um right. because as it was on a trailer it could not pass having code and regulations so and that you know that's an example where you see um you know, on the one hand, we want affordable housing. We want to create options. Um, we want to invite young people onto the island. This is the demographic of part or one aspect of the demographic that we're trying to attract back onto the island. Um, and yet, on the other hand, our code and our development code has not caught up um, to allow for, um, you know, to young pe- for young people or to allow for these kinds of options to exist when they, when, when they make sense to
0: Right. Well, it kind of brings up the question of, you know, and I'll let Charles jump in here in a second, but it actually Mm -hmm. brings up the question of, obviously, if we're communicating through our action or inaction as a community Mm -hmm. um, and through our code and through our comprehensive plans that this is not something that we're going to move on, it begs the question of what we're really going to be able to achieve. And so when someone says, not just you, but if any candidate comes in and says, you know, I believe that this is an important issue, and it is, and we all say we give lip service to it and say we agree, then, you know, if our walk isn't matching our talk it it's it's like well well then what what's going to happen who's going to do what to make that happen but charles do you have any <laughs> thoughts you want to uh, throw in here for a second about some of the comments that have been made to date I, I, are you hearing him Rashem? because I'm not I'm not I'm not <laughs> i
1: am glad you're still
0: there <laughs> Okay Charles we're not hearing you so uh, I was yeah, you I was on mute I was on mute I'm sorry Oh there you are okay, there I am. okay. yeah uh <laughs> I see my, my phone tree falls, on falls in the forest the you know Here you yeah. go yeah <laughs> Okay
2: so sorry I thought I hit it and it didn't it didn't take the first time so Okay, okay I don't right. want to say we're here affordability now. That's, that's actually a really I think the reason we're not achieving our goals on affordability is because people ultimately they're they're working across purposes they say they want affordability mm-hmm. but then they stop the things that would lead to more affordability that's okay. part of the problem when somebody says mm-hmm. hey we want to have more affordability but then they say no but we don't want any poor people moving on the island and that you know and poor people could be anybody under making under a hundred thousand hundred fifty thousand a year so I mean because that's why what's driving part of our our market is being driven by demand, and some people benefit in mm-hmm. that because they get to, you know, their housing prices are inflating, and if they can turn around and sell it and profit from it, that's great for them. But it's not great for the community as a whole, because mm-hmm. then policemen and firemen can't live here, and school teachers can't live here, and even the principal of the high school left here because he said affordability is a problem. And when you're in that right. level of position and you're leaving because you can't afford it, you know you got a problem. Now, well, I have a question for you though. Before you before you keep yeah. going
0: on, you made a comment, <laughs> and I and I don't know if you mean this by inference uh, or if you mean this literally. You said that we don't want poor people here. Did somebody say that, or are you trying to say that by virtue of the, the lifestyle that we have by, here? By virtue pricing, of
2: inference. By virtue of the of how they behave. In other words, some people benefit from seeing this place get really expensive, and they want their whole, their their values of their properties to increase. If you're a property owner and you're benefiting from that, that's great. But if you're being priced out of the market and you can't afford it anymore, then that's not great. So, I mean, uh, there's, there's different segments of the population that want different things. And I okay, would say so it's, to the argument, okay. you've got to balance these things. You, mm-hmm. you obviously want to create a good market, but you also got to be able to create opportunities for, like you say, people with families to move in here because otherwise the school districts suffer. And it just becomes okay. mm-hmm. uh, a thing that will drag on the community.
0: Well, I have a and know, I want to talk say, about this again in the other show and I'll probably keep bringing it up to every candidate because it's a really recent example of of, you know, our neighbors, you know, Bremerton, for instance, they're doing. They're in the same situation. We all are, really, I mean, because we've got all of these people coming up from Silicon Valley, and we also have people that are, you know, we have our own tech explosion that's happening in Seattle, and so by virtue of the expenses over there, obviously people are going to come over to this side to try to, to alleviate some of the costs, um, and they're making a lot of money. I mean, there are kids that are graduating from college that are making, you know, $100,000 or more just to work at mm-hmm. at Amazon, so... That was, this is being felt by Polsbow and Bremerton and everywhere else, and Kitsap is my point. And so Bremerton just had a vote with its city council, I think it was 4 3 against uh, code that was. Uh, related to owners who tried to rent their second homes or the ADUs on their property. Mm -hmm. It used to be that they had six months out of the year that they had to be living on that property in order to make that Mm -hmm. uh, copacetic. But they actually changed the code, and the amendment suggested waiving – they wanted to waive the owner-occupancy requirement entirely, first of all, to open up the rental stock. But this time they voted to make it a year that they have to live there Mm -hmm. all year round. And it was astonishing. I mean, there's just kind of a disruption taking place in Bremerton right now because they were actually looking at this as an opportunity to to, to alleviate a situation that they're dealing with in their rental market. And so when I looked back at some of their um, information, I noted that they only had 15 ADUs approved since 2007, and they already have a dilemma in their area with absentee landlords, which have kind of negatively impacted that, that area. So I thought it was interesting that here we are talking about ADUs, here they're talking about ADUs, and then the city council went out and passed something that just made it almost impossible uh, for owners to, to to build or capitalize upon that and alleviate the very problem they said they wanted to, to address. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Rasham, about the ADU situation here and on Bainbridge?
1: Well, um, you know, I, this is, this is something that, you know, I certainly have not given much um, thought to. I'm only recently hearing about the Bremerton um, decision regarding ADUs and the um, owner occupancy requirements. Um, I can say that if, uh, you know, we have the new Affordable Housing Task Force recently appointed on the island, um, and I do hope that this is something that they, you know, it's considered as part of their research. Um, if their, you know, if their recommendation comes back to council, <coughs> that this is something that might help alleviate the burden of affordability on Bainbridge Island, then it's definitely something to consider. Um, you know, what we're really talking about with the issue of affordability is a complex and multi-layered uh, issue. Um, and like I said, if uh, you know, if the recommendation from the task force comes back that this is something that we need to give thought to, or maybe this is an area where we should consider changing our code or setting, establishing some uh, owner occupancy requirements. Um, pertaining to ADUs on the island, um, then you know I would take that into serious consideration and certainly support it. You know my ultimate um, goal is to represent the issue of affordable housing um, as thoroughly and as comprehensively as I possibly can. It's um, an issue that's very important to me. I'm a farmer. Um, <clears throat> I often house people that can't otherwise afford to live on the island, as a courtesy to their entering the farming community here on Bainbridge Island. So I experience firsthand the lack of affordability. Um, and I do uh, I do sincerely want to, um, you know, look into all options um, that we have at our, at our disposal to consider uh, moving forward.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit. Environmental okay. sustainability. Your website mentions environmental preservation as a core value and a collective imperative to preserve a basic human right to clean air and water and earth. And since we've already touched on the housing development correlation to that, let's get to the question that's being put to all the candidates out there about the recent island power initiative. So you don't talk about it on your website, but on your Facebook page, you characterize the community discussion as very divisive. um, And I agree with you there. You said there were too many unknowns to proceed with confidence, and more conversations were needed about how to transition to renewable sources. You know, to me, I I believe in net gain, but in a way that the community will support. And then you also express confidence in the ability to push PSC to do better by getting them to invest in new renewable and green energy projects. So I guess a couple of questions that I have for you while you're you're mulling over this subject is describe what steps you take or the projects that you'd recommend as a council member to get us to that renewable and green energy, Um, and then what criteria you would propose to assess um, or evaluate PSE's progress.
1: Okay, so, um, yeah, so... You know, I I guess I'll just start by saying, um, yeah, the the discussion was really divisive. I I do want to come out and say um, that I I deeply respect Island Power's campaign, even though my ultimate position on the matter is that I agree with Council's decision. Um, I shared concerns about the tremendous cost and and then the fact, and this was raised by a State Councilmember Blossom at the um, last public comment meeting. You know, we can't we simply can't pretend to know where energy technologies are going to be in five ten or fifteen years. Um, you know, we might be, uh, we might have another way out poll by then um, that's, uh, you know, offers more local control. Um, and that, you know, that will remain to be seen. But I, I want to say that I do respect Island Power's campaign. I think it served to bring forward our community's aspirations and concerns regarding this sources of our energy. Um, there's no question that our community wants to transition to renewable energy as soon as possible. Uh, now, the issue and point of debate here, and this is pertains to your questions, is, is how, Um how we're going to do that. Now the renewal contract in 2022, um, yeah, you know, I'll and I've said this on Facebook before, I've answered um, a number of times in different groups on this um, very topic, and some of the questions are really specific. And you know I don't have um I don't have answers to all the specifics of the questions. Um, but I will say um, in applying my values of environmentalism towards this, I definitely support holding P&P accountable in our franchise negotiations. Um, I think we can definitely rally a lot of community support behind this. Um, I think we first need to come up with a standard that addresses renewable energy, energy targets going into negotiations. Um, what those will look like, I can't um, state confidently um, at this point in time. Um, and, I, and I'll say that part, partly because um, this is going to be such an evolved effort by the community um, and it might not even just be our specific Bainbridge Island community. It might be larger um, communities involving other municipalities that are customers of PSE. Um, to really, um, you know, build, uh, you know, we're stronger in numbers. So, um, but community groups like Climate Action Bainbridge and the newly formed Climate Change Committee, um, you know, will likely be enlisted by council to help draft a list of options to consider. So this is going to be one large, huge collaborative effort um, you know, as, as far as pressuring PSE off the goes. Um, and it would definitely be in our benefit to join with other municipal customers at PSC. you know, to make our position more effective. Um, it's also possible, and I've heard this from, um, you know, in, involved in citizen discussions before on this topic, that this might be a site that will have to be one at the state regulatory level, um, where there is enough scale and cloud to affect meaningful change. You know, we're a small city, like 24,000 people, and um, as as this may seem, um, to me, you know, kind of the underdog fighting for um, justice in a, uh, in a world of uh, corporate power, I think we have to be realistic and consider the possibility that we alone don't have the power to move PSD in the direction we'd like to see them go, um, as honest as our intentions may be. I think this is going, you know, to, be, to require a unified effort all around. And, um, you know, but I, what I want people to know is I am absolutely behind this, um, and I will be regardless of whether I am on council. You know, for the sake of our planet and the future of our world and 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 our children's health, we have to simply um and this goes for all humanity, we have to start to put end to, to coal. That's an imperative um, and a top priority in advocating for um against climate change. And there is a sense of urgency you know that we can no longer ignore.
0: But but okay and great. So we're talking about the the ideals here, and again, you know, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of us would certainly like to do that. Um, but we're certainly also looking at a realistic situation where we're dealing with a corporation mm-hmm. that has a lot of different moving parts. Um, and I'm right. not going to speak for C but I know that they've made some commitments. Some people call it greenwashing. I mean, I, that's a different type of a mentality there. But you know, there are a lot of implications for from they're making changes that will reverberate beyond Bainbridge Island that will influence what they're willing or able to do. And so I'm more interested Mm -hmm. as a citizen that lives here um, Mm -hmm. that is looking to vote for a candidate. I want to know where their head is at, you know, specifically with respect Mm to, you know, how they're going to evaluate their progress. I mean, are we really looking at, we want you to not coal off completely by 2022 or you're out of here. I mean, I think that that sounds great and it reads great, but is it a realistic goal? So I'm trying to get some feel for some right. of the council members that are out there. Right. I mean, what's your determination? <laughs> what do you consider pro- pro- progress? What's going to be, you know, I mean, is there something, somebody mm-hmm. made a comment on Facebook asking a candidate if they would require PSC to drop the current lawsuit against the Department of Ecology over the clean air rule and as a precondition, and it's like, well, on the one hand, I mean, I, I mean, can see, see someone itch. trying to, trying to strong arm that, but on the other hand, they're not the only plaintiff and there are some other arguments Arguments that are behind the basis for their suit in the first place that are being spun. So I'm not going to ask you that question, but I'm really so okay. interested in hearing more about, you know, your first day on the council. This this shows up. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. what would you what would you as a candidate uh, want? You know, if you had a magic wand and you could have anything you want from PSC, that's reasonable and realistic. What would you be looking for from them to determine whether or not they are working with us effectively?
1: I like that question. I like the magic wand. If <laughs> so I could have anything yeah, want, Well, of course. Has <laughs> <laughs> it has to be realistic. It has to be realistic. Well, you know, ideally, we would be off goal, um, and we would be off it soon, by 2025. Now, I've, I've read facts that, that, you know, that alludes to PSEs, you know, intention to take a minute to cold past 2025. I don't know how accurate those facts are. I've not personally researched them myself. I'm relying on, uh, you know, citizen feedback here. But um, I think we need to set some realistic targets for them. Um, and whether or not we're, um, you know, 100% renewable energy by 2025, um, as long as we're making progress in that direction, and as long as we, um, you know, going into it with a kind of a collaborative spirit, um, I certainly don't want to, place threats against PSC or turn them into some sort of, you know, enemy. Um, I I think they've been more than willing to, uh, um, you know, to address island concerns regarding their energy, the source of their um, energy, currently, fairly and accurately. Um, You know, I attended those discussions, and I appreciated their, you know, their input. I think they can do better. I think we can do better to ask more of them. Um, And like I said, you know, I will be one – Council person out of seven. Um, this is really going to be uh, a long and arduous um, affair, include, including um, involving citizen island groups and citizens, um, you know, to arrive at a, a well-rounded, thoughtful, and meaningful set of um, you can call them requirements or objectives for PSC to meet come the you know 2022 uh, renewal
0: contract. Um, so. Green direct and solar choice are two of the things that um, PSC has been talking to the community about.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: there's been some, like you talk about, you know, collaborative spirit and, and so forth in our community, and it mm-hmm. hasn't been there, and Charles wants to jump in in a second to talk about some of that. But, you know, some of those people consider it greenwashing and inconsequential movement and so forth. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess a quick, you know, I know it's not always a yes or no thing, but do you – at least, what are you? What's your sentiment about the Green Direct and Solar Choice programs? Do you feel like that's greenwashing? Do you feel like it's an effort to make forward movement? What's your opinion on that?
1: Well, I thought it was interesting that it um, that we're starting to really hear about this stuff when you know,
0: when because of island
1: power as a result of island power, and um, you know, the islands sort of got together and said, hey, you know, we uh, it, this green energy means this much to us that we're willing to spend $100,000 in a feasibility study to look into the options of not buying power from you anymore. And I think I think that kind of rattled PSB a little bit. Now, I haven't spoken to them, to them directly. So, um, you know, I, aside from hearing um, their, uh, you know, contributions and then council meetings and their presentations and things of that nature, um, but, uh, you know, I... I just I just want to reiterate the fact that I think this is going you know it's going to require a unified effort all around um, and that and that just means um, you know what what it means it means that we're going to have to be willing to step outside of Bainbridge Island look for aid and assistance and kind of uh, in, with other municipal customers of PSE um, to kind of get together band together um, and become stronger in numbers and to pressure PSE to kind of you know, arrive at a, you know, at a conclusion or at a result in terms of going so, to uh, negotiations that we can all be happy with. But okay, it, so with regards guess- to Sol- solar and the yeah. Green Direct program. Um, right. I, uh, I, I think the city buying into the green direct program um, is a good first start. I know I've heard that as an, op- as an option presented by some other council members. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course I'm, I'm skeptical of it. Um, as I would be going into any major decision that would um, you know, be an expense to citizens. Um, I think it would we'll still need to look into and research that uh, a little bit more before we make that decision and again involve community participation and ultimately it's the community um who will decide, um and the community's kind of wishes and values that I you know that I seek to represent as a council person, um not speaking for myself. But um uh, solar is also another option, and this was something that was brought up in those meetings over and over again, and specifically, um, you know, highlighting the fact that solar technology is progressing at such an amazing rate, and the technology is becoming more and more available and more and more fo- affordable to us, you know, as years go on. Um, so that may be something that we could um, invest in um, outside of PSD or maybe through PSD, um, as well as uh, anaerobic um, biodigester energy producers. I don't know if you've heard of those. But I have, yeah, I have sure a lot of works. people coming up to me. Yeah, I have a lot of people coming up to me and talking to me about, um, about that and uh, possibly working um, you know, on supplying power or at least um, subsidizing some of uh, our island's power through that technology, um,
0: either independently of PSE or through PSC. Um, I think that is all yet to be seen. Well you made a comment earlier about you know the what island power was able to spark and you know mm-hmm. it's interesting i i see this from a different perspective because i've been involved in um the clean tech a committee with the Economic Development Alliance, and there were a lot mm-hmm. of people that were sitting on that committee years ago, uh, including PSC. Um, and I was also on the leadership committee of the Repower Initiative um, when they were working with PSC, was working with the community. And I was also involved in the initiative when they were trying to do redundant looping and when they were trying to do a new substation, and this community was pushing back on those things. So uh, in a lot of ways, it, it's it, some people might who who may be looking at it differently might say, well, island power sparks all this conversation. But, you know, I spoke with mm-hmm. a, a prior mayor here um, months ago that said, no, this has come up before. We've looked at this and mm-hmm. it didn't pencil out and the council voted against it. So it's come up before, um, it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, Island Power was the, the, the impetus for us initially and for the first time ever thinking about these issues and scaring the heck out of PSC. I mean, they've always been a community partner. No, I'm not, you know, cheering, cheerleading for them. Mm-hmm. I'm just stating facts. They've always been a community partner. They've always been here and tried to work with us. And sometimes we like what they propose and sometimes we don't. But I don't think it's a fair statement, not that you're making that statement, to say that, you know, they wouldn't have done anything if we hadn't, you know, given them that, you know, the squeaky wheel with the grease. Right. Charles, has been kind of waiting to jump in here, and I'm going to move on after he's done to um, okay. some other things that were of interest to me. Charles, what did you want to say about uh, the subject?
2: Oh, okay, so it's, it, I think the thing I think I want to focus this on the candidacy and, and, and Rasham. I think the thing we want to look for is people that actually understand the argument and make a decision based upon the actual physics and, and, and of the issue, and don't just listen to the sound bites. I think one of the reasons that really annoyed me with Island Power is they would take credit for some things that they didn't cause, and they would promise things like we'll be cheaper, more reliable, and greener all in the Mm -hmm. same time. And it's like you you don't get that. That's not Mm -hmm. the way projects work. If you are more echo and more reliable, it's going to be a heck of a lot more costly. And if it's a lot Mm -hmm. more costly, that will affect a lot of other things like affordability. So it's like Mm -hmm. don't make false promises. Look at the issue and look for solutions and not the soundbites. And that's why I didn't respect that, because that was pushing too much, saying, look, you know, PC is this evil corporation. Well, no, they're a power provider. And coal was mm-hmm. a part of our power network back in the 70s when we were trying to get off oil. And it was really mm-hmm. important for us to get off oil then. And now, of course, mm-hmm. we do want to get the CO2 down. But when you go to solar and wind, you have to have capacity in your network to store energy, because you can't just mm-hmm. run on solar or wind. Uh, down in uh, southern Australia, power lines got knocked out by a storm, and they were out of power for 30 days because they had the Mm -hmm. highest concentration of solar and wind, and they didn't have backup generation capacity. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a complex issue. And I -hmm. I think the thing is, I think what we look for is we look for somebody who thinks about the issue and doesn't just go with the the sound bite but looks at, like, yes, we understand psc has got to make certain targets, uh, it takes a lot of money to build new capacity and to build storage, mm-hmm. so it's going to take time. It's not something that we can do in three years, for instance, or five years, or even mm-hmm. ten years in some cases. It's a long-term process. And when we look at the island, one of the things that's really important to people here is reliability. And they found in this process, buying the network doesn't make it more reliable. What causes the reliability problems is trees falling on wires, and the, the system okay. not looped. And we don't have enough transmission capacity or generation capacity. So we need to make some improvements in our network and, in some cases, work with the city. And I guess this is the part where you would come in, working with the city to allow our network to become more reliable. I think that's what so, we're kind of looking for.
0: A couple of things I want to say. First of all, I don't want to relitigate the island power thing. I know you're not doing that. You're just expressing your opinion. But, I mean, it's over. It's done with now. It's phase two, yeah. 2.0. Um, The second thing is that I just read an article the other day about China and how they're trying to find a way to dispose of um, some of the issues that are um, occurring with their solar. And I haven't I didn't have Mm -hmm. a chance to go through it in depth, but they're actually having some issues with disposing of some of the older aging parts of their solar panel or their solar uh, infrastructure. Mm So nothing's foolproof. We all know that. But I mean, obviously, the end result is that we're all trying to move forward. I noticed on Mm -hmm. your website under the future mm-hmm. of Bainbridge Island, that you would work with citizens and colleagues to implement strict tree protection policies and ordinances, and you would get sure. preference to preservation. So now that we were just talking okay. about that whole island power PSC thing, I mean, you know one of the primary reasons cited by PSC uh, on the reliability issue was trees. We love our trees. Right, so, I heard that. Um, <laughs> the other thing you mentioned was the building another substation and redundant looping, and, of course, we push back on that. But one of the reasons the substation uh didn't happen was because we had vocal opposition to removing the trees and changing the island's character so when we start talking about you know any building that we want to have mm-hmm. here and any reliability i mean how do, how do you balance you personally as a uh, mm-hmm. candidate your desire to work with psc given the stated core value about you know trees and the, the preference for preservation you know they're saying that if a lot of our trees were actually impacting their lines and and their power so how yeah. do you how do you balance those things <laughs>
1: Well, you know, you you say it correctly when you say it's a balance. Um, you know, we can't have everything because we have trees and we like them and we want to keep them around. Well, that to some de- degree means that we have to put up with you know a little bit of a little bit of a lack of reliability. Maybe not as much as we've been seeing lately, um, and we can certainly expect um, greater reliability. And that's a really big concern of customers here on the island. But, um, you know, tree protections are not across the board. There are lots of exceptions to be drawn. Um, we could take things, and uh, we should be taking things on a case-by-case basis um, and allowing for those exceptions to occur when they make sense to. Um, another example of this uh, is the Squeaky Wheels Initiative. This is totally off-subject to of PSE. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, non-motorized transportation, uh, the core yes. 40. Um, one yeah. of the one of the one of the things that was brought up by uh, one of the members of the meeting I attended was well, um, you you know you you say you're in favor of this forty um, uh, mile uh, bike extension um, p- uh, path network, and yet what we're constantly seeing is pushback from environmentalists because in order to develop this bike lane, we're going to need to remove some trees and yeah. And I think this is where council is really important because ultimately you have a lot of competing causes. I saw this with housing affordability in the environment, bike lanes in the environment, PSD energy reliability and the environment. Well, you know, we're never going to get rid of those. There's never going to be a clear-cut yes or no answer to any um, situation that we find ourselves in. But what we should be able to do as a community is to rely on our council leaders to make a good, grounded decision that is ultimately in the best interest of the community. And if so, the removal of, you know, if, if a bicycle path necessitates the removal of three trees here and two trees here and four trees here, or if PSD needs to cut, you know, ten trees here, four trees here, then I think we need to look at that and come together and have council come together and make a decision. Well, with the removal of these select trees be a be in the best interest of the community. I think it's when we see, and this is where a lot of the um, kind of upset is coming from and this reaction that we kind of uh, is now uh, kind of um, have been, you know, uh, developed in us as islanders, we, we're, we're so sick of driving by and seeing a full clear cut of a 10-acre lot or the clear cuts along the 305. And I think well, our fear of tree cutting is healthy because every time we say we want to cut a few trees, well, like 200 come down. Or with Wisconsin, I think it was like 900. I mean, don't quote me on that, 800 and something. Um, I heard the number on 305 was, you know, an access of 200, but, again, I I, I don't um, have the documentation to support that. Um, But, you know, citizens have a right to be cautious and and a right to be um, skeptical when it comes to decisions that require the removal of trees. But ultimately, um, and what I think is, is, you know, is what I want to focus on as a council member is having all the data, all the facts in front of me, um, being able to make an educated and sound decision that is in the best interest of the community going forward, and also um, having uh, you know being transparent throughout the process, which also means the result that we see out there in the community is the result that we expected when we were looking at the, at the plans um, or you know or the documentation prior to making the decision. I know uh, I spoke to council members about the. Trees on 305. A lot of community members um, have looked into this because we were all completely surprised um, when we drove by after that day. Um, and they, some of them said they had the documentation in front of them. Some of them didn't, you know, didn't read it um, or they didn't look closely enough um, to understand the true implications um, of, tree, of the tree removal for that project. But, um, but I think we have to practice a little bit more scrutiny and have to enter into these kinds of things more carefully. But ultimately. Um, i don't see it as uh, as an issue um, when we compete these two uh causes um, that we should get so bogged down in it that we should stop progress for, uh, you know from being made in either direction
0: well, that's a fair point about you know not getting bogged down in all this because I mean there's some people that don't pay attention to anything until it's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And you can't have the type of government that's like a seesaw government where you're moving forward because you've gotten the input you've you've put out the the forms for people to come in and speak or to write or whatever, and then they don't show up. And then when you're finally implementing that decision, then they want you to stop and go backwards because now they're paying attention. So it definitely mm-hmm. calls for transparent leadership and good governance, but it also mm-hmm. calls for strong leadership um, and for mm-hmm. people to be able to say, you know, you elected me to do this. Um, I went through the stages. Yes, I will listen to you. But I mean, obviously, you know, there are costs to to having stop-go government too. So. Um, when you talk about the, you know, squeaky wheels, you talk about the overpass issues that we're thinking about, and the the bike path that's mm-hmm. going all the way to the bridge, ultimately, um, and also even the substation issue. I mean, some trees are going to have to come down if that's what we want, and if we don't want that, right. then trees are going to have to come down to to prevent falling on some of the the wires and the power lines. I mean, we're just going to have to mm-hmm. deal with that. And so, obviously, we're curious about where you stand on that. So, we have about sure. three minutes left. Um so okay. what else would you like to what do you, what else do you want us to know about you or your campaign
1: uh sure yeah so i i guess i'll just i'll briefly um touch on uh the uh, fiscal responsibility um just briefly and i and i wanna and i wanna talk about this with respect to tax- to taxation because I think it's part of that and this relates to housing affordability as well when we're talking about um you know passing a, a an affordable housing tax, which then the um, property owners would incur. Um, I think whatever kind of business that we do moving forward has to be done with, you know, with with sincere consideration of our our financial spending. Um, I think this is an area where we can do better, um, and especially to help alleviate the burden um, of, you know, uh, passing more, you know, bond measures, taxes onto property owners of the island. Um, You know, I... I know that uh, as a farmer I'm very well connected to, you know, uh, to a community that is really concerned about about people that are currently living on the island for whom, you know, an an additional property tax would basically mean the decision of whether or not they can continue to live here or whether they'd have to move. Um, So, again, as with anything, um, fiscal responsibility is an important part of my campaign. It's also a balancing act. and uh and i just really look forward to you know to talking more about that um issue in my campaign throughout the months to come um and emphasizing it in regards to specific examples um that uh that we intend to highlight moving forward um i also just want to thank you sincerely for having me on this was my first podcast ever <laughs> i have oh. to say it wasn't as wrecking <laughs> as, as i thought it would be but um you know i'm I'm really excited uh, at this opportunity to run for council and to serve the community um I've been you know heavily involved in the community since my husband brought me here. um I have a deep and sound respect for the community. It's what makes this place so special um and I sincerely look forward to getting out there. Um, we'll be doorbelling in the coming weeks um. Hosting copies with the candidates, so I urge people to, you know, contact me on my Facebook page or through my website um, to find out when those dates are going to be and
0: come out and meet me. Do you want to go ahead and know, share? Do you want to share and, your? Uh, yeah. Do you want to share your website URL and your Facebook page yeah. really quickly?
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll plug that in. Sure. Uh, my Facebook page is Rosham um, for City Council, and uh, my uh, website URL is Um huh. So, yeah, I'm just i looking to thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to meeting you all and um it's a it's a real pleasure, so
0: thank you. Well, I appreciate you being here. And for me, I mean, my, my uh, perspective is that I'm, I'm not looking to try to nail anybody. I'm a straight shooter. I like to get the information out there. If people have more questions or comments, they're free to reach out to you or to us to get those questions answered. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a venue. That's all it is. Um, sure. And if, I think if people can just listen to each other and talk, then things, you know, things can get better and things can improve. So any last comments, Charles? You've got about 30 seconds max.
2: Well, I just want to say I appreciate people stepping forward who want to engage. Uh, the, the civic aspect of the service takes a lot of time, and I appreciate you even putting your hat into this uh, arena and stepping forward and wanting to engage on these issues because the more people that think about it and listen to each other and say, look, there's pros and cons, and let's figure out what the best a solution is. It won't make everybody happy, but it will look good maybe, or we'll work it out in the end. I think that's a, that's a win-win, so thank you
1: Great.
0: Thank you. All right. It looks like I I knew it. I'm always good with when it's going to come up. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. This podcast is now on our website iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook also at STR8 Talk Radio. That's Sam Tommy Roger, the number eight in Talk Radio. Really appreciate Rasham and Charles, as always, taking the time to share their thoughts. We'll be back tomorrow. same Bat Time, Same Bat Station with North Ward candidate, Joe Deeps. This is Doria Keating signing off at about 159 PDT on Monday, July 31st. See you next time.